benefit from it directly. Uh, I do love it and love the work that goes into it. It's going to be an amazing time uh, again this year. So if we haven't had the chance to meet, my name's Phil. I'm part of the team here at True North. And if you do know me, you might not have seen me for a little way, a little while, because as Ryan mentioned, I've been, uh, I've been on long service leave for the past three months. Now, I like to call it a sabbatical. That makes it sound more professional, right? Like I went and learned a language or did something really cool like that. But, but I've, I've had a great break. But uh, I kind of tell you what, I've been visiting a lot of churches, being blessed by a lot of different communities of faith. And it is so good to be back here at True North. And my, my prayer, my hope is that that's your experience as you gather here today as well. You know, what I wanted to begin with was something fun that I got to do a couple of weeks ago. Uh, a Catholic friend of mine called me up and said, hey, Phil, do you want to come snorkeling tomorrow morning at like 7 a.m. or something like that? And I was like, you know what? I like snorkeling. I haven't been snorkeling in years. So I decided, yeah, let's go snorkeling. And it turns out just off the, the Marmion Angling Club on West Coast Highway, you guys know that place? There's something called a snorkeling trail. Has anyone heard of a snorkeling trail before? Right? It's new. It's awesome. You've heard of one. So the idea is like a walking trail. So it's, it starts with a pink boy floating in the water, and you swim out to it. And then sure enough, there's a plaque on the bottom of the ocean. And on that plaque, it's got like a, a picture of a, a cool little fish. And then it's got some fun facts. It's like, did you know there's 7,000 different kinds of marine life that live on this reef? And you're like, wow, that's amazing. But of course, when you're snorkeling, you turn to your friend, you're like, and then there's a, there's a distance and a direction that you go to the next plaque. And as we, we made our way out to the second plaque, it was kind of getting to about that depth. You kind of, you turn back, you look at the shore, you're about 50 meters away from the beach, something like that. Now, if you have any kind of shark-related anxiety, that is the distance from the shore that you start to have some trouble. I don't know about you, but I've got a bit of a mental calculation in my head that I know, based on how many meters away from the shore I am, if I see a shark, I can make it back to the shore. Now, 50 meters is about that distance on that mental pathway. We're like, If I see a shark right now, I'm not making it back to the shore. So the shark anxiety is starting to build. And then you get to the second plaque, and guess what they have a picture of? <laughs> a shark. I'm like, what is wrong with you people? This is the shark distance where you start stressing about it. It's like, hey, Phil, just a reminder, there's sharks in this water with you. Brilliant. And we kept going, making our way through the trail. We ended up having a pretty good time. As I recall, I left the water a little bit earlier than, than my friends because, you know, that anxiety was still there. But as I was reflecting that whole experience of snorkeling, I, I love snorkeling. I love seeing the fish. I love the colors in the reef. I love finding swim-throughs. Anyone been a swim-through before? That's, like, that's the fun. You hold your breath. You go through a tunnel. There's that kind of risk-reward thing going on that men seem to love. And, uh, and, and I just love that. And I love that experience of snorkeling. But you know what I've landed on? There is one factor more than anything else that determines how good a snorkeling experience is. Can anyone guess what it is? Sharks. We need absence of sharks if that's going to be a good experience. Anyone else have a guess? Come on, we can call them out in this space. Any snorkelers here? Fish, you get to see a whole bunch of fish, right? If you see lots of fish, you're going to have a good experience. Any other ideas? Yeah. Re reasonably essential, uh, whoever that was. Visibility, who was that? Come on, get that kid a chocolate bar. Do we have chocolate bars here? What, what's your name? Am I allowed to ask your name? Mason. Good job, Mason. That was awesome. Visibility. Visibility. Because it doesn't matter how many fish there are. 
It doesn't matter how much color's on the reef. It doesn't matter how incredible the swim-throughs are. If there is a lack of visibility, you can't experience or engage with any of it. If there's an absence of clarity, you can't experience all of the color, the beauty, the joy, the adventure that is right there because the clarity's gone. You know, I believe in a God that has a life for us that is filled with beauty, with color, with life, with adventure, with fullness of life. But so often, we suffer from an absence of clarity in our soul. There's murky waters in our soul that prevents us from experiencing and engaging the fullness of who God is. So this morning, I want to speak into this subject, clarity in your soul. Clarity in your soul. And I want to begin with this question. I want to begin with this thought as you begin to reflect on this idea, and it's simply this. Is there a lack of clarity in my own soul? Is there a lack of clarity as to what's actually going on in the deeper parts of who I am? Is there a lack of clarity in my experience of who God is or the direction of my life in the deeper place of the soul? You know, clarity is actually something that is incredibly significant to each and every one of us whether we realize it or not. You know, you've probably been in a situation, maybe at school, maybe at uni, maybe at work. You've been given an assignment, an exam, a project with an expectation and a deadline. Who's ever had one of those before in your life at any moment? That's pretty much all of us, right? Now, when you have an expectation with a deadline and an absence of clarity as to what you're supposed to do, how does that make you feel? Stress, that's like anxiety fuel, right? There's an absence of clarity in the direction that we need to go in. Now, one of two things happen in any arena of life. If there's an absence of clarity in a particular direction, we'll do one of two things. We'll either stop going in that direction or we'll build clarity so we know how to keep going forward. This is true in the place of the soul as well. You know, I appreciate the idea of the soul is a, is a big, big idea. And I want to give some framework to the place of the soul this morning. That if we have clarity in the soul, I believe that we'll know three things in a deep way. The first thing that we'll know is ourselves. The clarity in the soul begins with knowing myself. Not just a general picture, but in a deep way. What are the internal realities of who I am in my mind, in my heart? in my thought processes. Those that have clarity in the soul, they know who they are. But the soul is this incredible place. It's a shared place that's not only the depth of who we are, but also within the soul, we find the depth of who God is. And so clarity in the soul is also about knowing God. And in particular, it's about knowing how my story connects with His story in the deeper place of my soul. So we're going to go on this journey together, building clarity in the soul this morning for the next little while. And it's going to come from these three places. And in particular this morning, I want to focus on the first, knowing myself, knowing myself in a deeper way. You know, I want to take you to a passage of Scripture this morning as we, we do this together. In the, the book of Matthew and Scripture, we find that one of the disciples of Jesus gives us an account of the life that Jesus lived and gathers together all of the, the great teachings and truth that Jesus preached throughout his life. 
And there's one particular moment in the, the Gospel of Matthew, the story of Matthew, where he records the Sermon on the Mount. Has anyone heard that, that story before in Matthew? Come on, you can give me a little wave if you'd like. Thank you, wavers in the house. And, uh, and he records a Sermon on the Mount, and there you'll find that in Matthew chapter 5 and 6, and just an incredible place where you hear Jesus bring formation and clarity around what the Christian life is. And there's a section right in the middle of that, where, where I'm just going to summarize the first couple of verses in 19 and 21. And some of you remember this, Jesus begins to talk about the focus of our lives. And the, the picture that he uses is our treasure. He says, where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. There our treasure is, there our heart will be. And Jesus uses the idea of treasure to describe the directional focus of our lives. So he says, where your treasure is, your focus will be, and the entirety of your being will follow. Saying where your treasure is, is where your focus will be, is where your heart will be. And Jesus begins by saying, hey, don't put your treasure, your focus on things that don't last. And he introduces this idea, he says, but rather store up treasure in heaven. Store treasure in heaven, which is, I guess, a bit of an abstract picture. But then what he's going to do next in verse 22, which I'm going to get to in a moment, it shows that that treasure in heaven begins not with something external, but begins with something internal. Let's look at what Jesus says here in verse 22. I love this scripture as we think about the place of the soul. The eye is the lamp of the body. In the world there that Jesus lived there, there's no electricity when they walked around at night. They carried uh, a lamp and the lamp brought clarity to the steps that were in front of them. The light determined the directional focus. And Jesus is saying here that the eye, the focus, the directional focus of your life is the light for your body. Now, if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be fully full of light. So what Jesus is saying here is if the directional focus of your life is set in the right place, your whole body will be full of light. Your whole soul, the deepest parts of who you are will be filled with light. An incredible picture. But if your eyes are unhealthy, and all Jesus means by this is that if your life is focused on things that are not good, on things that perhaps don't last, on things that, that are external and don't hang around forever, then your whole body will be full of darkness. You know, the picture I get of is a soul clouded by murky water. If our eyes are focused on the wrong things, there can be an absence of clarity or darkness within the soul. And then Jesus concludes with this idea, if then the light within you is darkness, that place of the soul that was created to be filled with light, if there's darkness there, how great is that darkness? What he's saying is that's a tragedy. He created created us with a soul to know the fullness of light of who God is. Now, here's what I want to invite you to do this morning, is to draw your focus, the directional focus of your life, inward to the place of your soul to look and think more deeply about who you are in a real way. You know, it's something that we're not always great at doing. Would anyone else have that reflection? And we can assign blame to lots of different things. In my own life, I can say, hey, this is something that I have not been great at doing. I can say, my life's just so full. This Western world that we're living in, always something to do. 
always something to do for, for the kids or for work or for hobbies or friends or whatever it might be. There's always something to do, right? It's just too busy. It's too hard. I can assign blame in all kinds of other places. Or I can choose to take responsibility. Say, so why don't I stop and reflect on the condition of my heart and my soul? You know, for me, I think it comes down to this. As I said, there could be some other things ticking away. But to go back to that picture of snorkeling, I think in the arena of our own souls, low visibility in the soul is preferable to high visibility that requires work. Do you hear what I mean by that? That sometimes it's nicer to not know exactly what's going on in the deeper parts of our hearts. There's probably some great stuff to engage with down in that part of who we are. There's probably some things that we don't really want to look in the face as well. So if we keep the arena of our soul murky, we don't have to deal with anything difficult that we might find there. Does that sound like that might ring true for anyone else here? This is my experience of faith, my journey of faith. The low visibility, yeah, everything's probably good. There might be a few things in there that aren't great, but if I can't see it, beautiful. But transformation happens through clarity in the soul. You know, there's a, a great story that I, that I saw this week. Some of you would have seen over the last couple of weeks that uh, the, the NBA lost one of its champions in Kobe Bryant. I'm kind of a basketball guy, so, so I've been reading and seeing lots of stories about this. And, and one, one really stuck in my mind. There's a story of a, of a high school student who was in, in Kobe's basketball academy that he set up after retirement. And she, uh, she's one of the, the really highly scouted, projected to be a, a WNBA superstar, just heads and shoulders above the rest of the competition in a lot of places. And she was competing in a particular tournament against a, a series of other schools. And she just had one of those games that was an absolute stinker. Any, any athletes here today? Any sports people, if you don't like to think of yourself as an athlete? You know, you have those kind of games or you can remember those kind of games where everything just goes wrong. You make bad decisions, you cause turnovers, you have defensive lapses, you kick it out of bounds on the full, you shoot an air, uh, what do you call it, an air ball. I'm like, I was so focused on getting the football example right that I stuffed up the basketball one. Um, and, uh, and you just have one of those games where everything goes wrong and at the end of the game, there's this frustration. You're like, oh, and it just hangs with you for like the rest of the week. Any other sports people like that? You know, those mistakes, you just can't shake them. And every time you think, you go to sleep thinking about how you threw the ball out of bounds or whatever it might be. So she had one of those kind of games. And, and there was a great upset, upset. They lost the tournament. And, and she's doing it pretty tough. And Kobe, she tells the story, reached out to her. And the first thing he asked is, have you watched the film yet? She's like, what, what do you mean, watch the film? So like, have you gone over all the mistakes that you made in that game? Have you watched the times where you took that shot that you shouldn't have? Have you watched the times where you caused that turnover through a lapse in concentration? And she was like, of course I haven't. <laughs> I don't want to re relive that. That was like the worst game of my life. I don't want to dwell on all those mistakes. I don't want to think about how I caused my team to lose. And she, as she's telling the story, she says, that, then Kobe said to her, you've got to do the hard stuff too which to, to me kind of resonates. I think like the hard stuff is showing up at the gym, going through the drills, doing your exercises, putting the reps up. It's like, no, the hard stuff is looking at your mistakes square on, focusing on them, 
and choosing to grow through them. And he said, next time you're in the academy, we're going to watch, we're going to watch the film together. It's like, isn't that great if you're a young basketballer? Let's watch the worst game of my life with one of the NBA's greatest champions. That sounds awesome. <laughs> so they did it. You've got to look at what's down there. Engage with it. Transformation happens when we're prepared to look at the things that we would rather not engage with. Let me describe this another way. And my friend, Andrew, can you pass me that apple? I don't throw it. I dropped it at Malalu last week. It was really embarrassing. <laughs> Still going over it in my head. <laughs> and um, let, let's say that, actually, I'm really hungry. This is really hard not to just eat this. Uh, let's say one day I, I want to get some apple from the, I want to get an apple from the fridge, which is a pretty common thing for me. And so I go to the fridge. I, I open the door. I reach down and I get my apple. But as I open the fridge door, I notice a particular smell. Now, it's not a bad smell per se, but it's one of those kind of smells that you're like, this is a notable smell. It's a smell that doesn't belong here, but it's okay, I can close the fridge, I've got my apple, off I go. Now, the next day, of course, I, I want another apple. So I go back to the same fridge, I open the door, I'm like, this time, it's like, oh, okay. That notable smell, now I can conclude, it is a bad smell, right? Anyone had this? You open the fridge, maybe it's the work fridge where there's a bit of an absence of responsibility for who keeps it clean. You open that, okay, okay, that's a bad smell today. But look, I'm not here to change the world. I just want an apple. I reach down, grab my apple, and I continue with my day. Now, the next day, sure enough, I want another apple. So I go back to the fridge. I open it, and this time the odor assails the nostrils. There's no escaping it. It's like, my goodness, there is so definitely something wrong in that fridge. But I can still close the door. I can still close the door because low visibility is preferable to high visibility that requires work. So I close the door and then I go to eat my apple, but I'm about to experience a problem. As I bring the apple up to my face and nose and mouth, oh, I discover that the smell that was in the fridge is now on my apple. Incidentally, if you ever let a fridge get this bad, you've gone too far. You've gone too far. Whatever the circumstance, if you start smelling whatever's wrong in that fridge on a piece of fruit you take out, you've got a problem. But I've still got options. My apple smells bad, the fruit smells bad, but I can just wash it in the sink. So I go to the sink, I wash it off, do the whole thing, I bite into it, yes, I can enjoy this apple. It had a bad smell, but I was able to clean that off. But the condition of the fridge that produced the fruit is still not right. And there comes a time where I have to open the door of that fridge. I've got to push the yogurt aside. I've got to push the cheese slices aside. I've got to push the butter aside. I've got to push everything aside until I find last month's tuna bake in the bottom corner of the fridge sporting some colors it was never designed to have, sporting some textures it was never designed to have. I've got to pick that thing up. I've got to bag it up. I've got to take it outside and I've got to put it in my neighbor's green bin. <laughs> don't ever do that. Don't be that guy. I don't know why that joke came to me. I've never done that. There comes a time 
where you have to look at that tuna bake. Is anyone planning on having tuna bake today? I'm really sorry if that was anyone's, you know, lunch option because I've spoilt it. And you've got to change the condition of the fridge. Now, here's, here's what I think I prefer to do, is keep the door fridge closed and address the symptoms of the fruit as they come up. Let me explain how this might look. Why don't you imagine your, your friendship group, maybe people that you work with, people that you've grown up with, maybe people you go to school with or wherever it might be. And uh, I want you to imagine, and perhaps you don't have to imagine, maybe you can remember doing this, that, that you've been speaking badly about a friend in front of other friends. It's called gossip. And you've been like, oh, can you believe that, that Paul acted like that? He's just, just be so dumb sometimes. I would never say that about Paul. Paul is genuinely one of my heroes. But, you know, we start to talk like that. And then there comes a moment where either someone calls us on it, it says, hey, Phil, that was a bit weird how you spoke that way about your friend Paul. Aren't you guys like friends? And then you have this moment of clarity and it hurts a bit. You're like, oh, why do I talk that way? And then you notice there's some fruit coming out of me that's got a bad smell on it. And you say, okay, that needs to change. And you say something like, okay, I'm not going to gossip anymore. Tomorrow, I'm going to make sure that I don't say a single thing bad about anyone that I know. You wash off the fruit and you continue on. And you ignore the condition of the soul that produced the fruit. Now, clarity in the soul, knowing myself, comes from an ability of stopping. And when you notice something like that, a smell on the fruit coming out of your life, you've got to stop and say, okay, I've noticed in myself or someone I love has let me know that sometimes I speak badly about people. Where's that coming from? And sometimes it requires literally to, to stop. Think what's going on in my heart and my soul that's producing that? And you start to process it and maybe you arrive at something like, is there an insecurity in me where I struggle with personal value? And I wonder if the, the people around me, are, I'm scared that they don't value me. Maybe there's a brokenness in my thinking that the, the people, they, they just think I, I don't have any worth. That, that my friends don't care about me. That there's brokenness in my thought process that says, I just don't think I'm good enough. And so my response is to begin to devalue others as I project that part of my heart onto other people. Now that's a process of engaging with the deeper parts of the soul. Saying, where is this coming from? Not, I want to change this. Where is it coming from? My jeans are a little tight. I'm going to try to get back up here. Success. And to address what we find. To address what we find in the place of the soul. You know, the good news is, through this process, I described earlier that the soul isn't just about us. We're not the only person that we're going to find when we look deep into the place of the soul. Because the soul is the place that we were created with by God to know God. And in fact, God isn't something external that we look for or chase. God actually resides in the human soul. He resides in the heart. So to find God isn't about chasing something external. It's about discovering Him within your own heart.
It's about an internal focus. So as we come to these realities about who we are in our soul, this is where we need to come to knowing God, to knowing who God is, to knowing what God brings to that place of the soul. As the murky waters become clear, what is the voice of God? I want to give you a really simple verse this morning, a verse that I absolutely love. It's a verse that you might have heard before. And it comes from Jesus speaking about himself. Jesus is an expression in his nature, who God is. He says this about himself in John 14 and verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I want you to focus on those three first words. Way, truth, and then life over here. Now, Jesus is the revealer. He's the way. He's the one that offers directional focus for our lives. He's the one that defines the health of our eyes. Remember, healthy eyes versus unhealthy eyes is all about directional focus. And Jesus is now saying, I am the way. I am the direction. I am the path. And I am the truth. That Jesus is the revealer of the condition of our soul. That when we engage with the deeper parts of who we are in the deeper places of our soul, Jesus is present with us. He is the revealer. But Jesus is more than the revealer. What else does Jesus say about who he is? He's not just the way, he's not just the truth, but he is the life. He's not just the revealer, but he's the redeemer. He's the renewer. He's the restorer. He's the resurrector. He's the one to bring beauty, life, color, adventure, hope, peace, joy to the murky waters of the soul. He's the way, he's the truth. He's the one to bring restored life. And he is the way that we discover the fullness of what God has for us. He's the way that we discover the fullness of who God is. You know, this week, my prayer is that God would do something significant in your life. That this wouldn't just be some thoughts about spirituality or the soul. But this week, you would have an opportunity to significantly transform an aspect of your life. Does that sound good? Some of you, you hear that and you're like, Phil, you don't know how badly that needs to happen. I want to give you the next few steps because I want to see that part of your soul transformed as you discover who Jesus is, what he would speak into that space and the life that he has for you. I want to invite you to transform your life this week. It starts here in this moment today. But here's what we've got to do. We've got to stop and have that honest moment of reflection to create time today, maybe tomorrow if you need to, and create a moment of reflection to stop, to absolutely stop, to discover where's that coming from? Where's that coming from? To take a journal, paper, pen, Write some things down. Maybe you've never done that before. If you want something to change, you've got to change something. Go deep into your own heart, into your own soul. But even then, that moment can just be a long stare into the fridge. Okay, I see that tuna bake. I know what it is. I know what it's doing to my life. I know what it's causing. 
but you can just shut it again. Now, the way you bag that sucker up and get it out of the fridge is through an honest conversation. I'm not sure there's any other way to do it. It's to have an honest conversation with someone that you love, someone that you respect, someone that that you know Jesus is a high priority in your life, and say, hey, Matt, I found this tuna bake in my life. I'm not exactly sure what to do, but I need to change it. To have that honest kind of conversation. You know, I've become, as every year I get older, I've become more and more set on the reality that conversations change the world. That honest conversations can change your world. Honest conversations about what lies beneath the murky waters of the soul. That's when it becomes clear. And there's some unpleasant things to deal with there, but as it becomes clear... There's also an invitation to engage with the beauty, hope, and life of who Jesus is, the revealer and the renewer. You know, the final piece of this is that we need to include God in the process. That this can just become a nuts and bolts exercise. Okay, Phil told me I need to think about my life. I need to think about the things that, that maybe are a little bit off. I need to write them down. I need to talk to a friend about it, and then I'm, I'm, I'm good. And that would be a pretty good process but you're ignoring the most powerful thing that you have in your life, the presence of Jesus. We need to include God in that process that as you sit down and look inwardly, you say, Jesus, be present. You are the way, you are the truth, you are the revealer. Give me eyes that are healthy, that can see where my attention needs to go. God, be present with me through this process. And then as you're going to meet with your friend, to have that conversation, be praying on the way there. Say, God, would you just lead our conversation? Would you be present in this conversation? When you arrive together, begin with prayer. Say, God, be with me and Paul as we talk about this together. Lead our conversations, bring your wisdom out of who we both are. To include Jesus in the work of renewal in your own soul. God wants you to be clear in the deeper parts of your heart. Clear about who he is clear about the life that he has for you. And it starts with focusing on him. Not him out there, but him who's already in here. You know, this morning we're, we're going to finish with a time of communion together. And I love communion if you're new to church and never experienced this. It's two symbols of who Jesus is. The, the cup is the, the sacrifice that Jesus laid out on our behalf. The, the bread, the, the, the body, again, the sacrifice. But through that sacrifice, there is resurrected life. First in Jesus, second in you and me. And I want that renewal for your life this morning. But you've got to choose it. You've got to seek it. You've got to prepare, be prepared to engage with the murky waters of the soul and believe that Jesus is present in those same waters. Can we stand together, church? I'd love to pray, and then the band's going to lead us as we share in communion. Around the tables, got two at the front here on each side. You, you come after I pray. Take a piece of bread, take a cup. We're going to spend time with God this morning. But let me pray for you. Please have everyone close your eyes here this morning. If you're new to church, this is just a way of creating a personal moment. We don't have to worry about 
people next to us on what's going on. And if you're here this morning and you know you need clarity in your soul, you want to know more of the life and purpose that God has for you. And you suspect that that perhaps the reason you're not experiencing that is because there's murkiness in the waters of your soul. And if you want to know the crystal clear blue waters that come through our Savior Jesus, and you want a fresh experience of that reality, maybe you're new to faith, and you want to say yes to Jesus for the first time here this morning. Love it if you could just symbolically hold out a hand in front of you. And I love to do this just to remind myself in faith that I'm believing that God is going to give me something. And I believe God is going to do that in your life this morning if you have faith for it. Just hold out that hand. Jesus, I want to thank you that you are the way, that you are the truth, that you are the bringer of clarity, that you are the provider of focus. And God, I pray for anyone here this morning that needs that, that's hungry for that, that Jesus, you would be their provision, that there would be new direction, that there would be new focus, and there would be, excuse me, clarity that comes from your renewing work. Jesus, I thank you that that's who you are. But Jesus, all the more, we thank you that you are the God that brings resurrected life, renewed life, not just the direction of our lives, but the light and life and breath of our lives. And God, I pray that you would make yourself clear here this morning. God, I pray that your presence would be close and your voice would speak with clarity. And Lord God, I pray that blessing over every person's life here this morning to know your presence and your voice to a greater degree. God, I believe that you have a life of beauty, color, and adventure. Not a life that's gonna be perfect, not a life absent of pain or suffering, but a life where through all of that, we can embrace the fullness of who you are as our great God. God, bring clarity to the soul. God, be with people as they take moments of reflection. Be with people as they have powerful, courageous conversations. God, bring transformation through new clarity in our soul. And Jesus, as we gather around your communion table this morning, God, remind us again that you are the way, that you are the truth, that you are the life. And we have fullness of life in you. We praise you, God. Amen. The team's going to lead us here this morning. And as you feel comfortable, please come, take the cup, take the bread. We're going to share in communion together.